Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, friends? Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab Podcast. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're having a great day. We got a uh, great episode for you, and I really do appreciate you joining us and listening. If you haven't already, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast. We'd love for you to leave us a rating and review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. We really do appreciate it. It really does help other people find the show, and it uh, really does mean a lot to us. So today, we're going to be talking with a, uh, a good friend of mine, Chris Mefford, and Chris has a massive amount of experience when it comes to putting on a Events, events of all sizes. He's done uh, conferences with literally uh, thousands of people, 10, 12, 15,000 people, and some that are just a couple hundred people and everything in between. So uh, the guys literally put on hundreds of events. And we're going to talk through his five-step process of how to think about events, all the variables that go into events, pros and cons of different types of events, how to plan an event, market an event, programming, how to not lose money when running an event. He gives all kinds of little tricks of the trade that I think you're going to get a lot from. So uh, let's just jump right into this conversation with Chris Mefford. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast today, joined by my buddy, Chris Mefford. Chris is currently the chief marketing officer for a major church uh, out on the West Coast, but in a past life, he was actually the the director or vice, no, vice president, right? Of live vice events. Yes. Yeah, vice president. Got to get all these fancy titles right. Vice president of live events for Dave Ramsey, where you put on how many events on an on an annual basis would you put on? Geez, when I started back, we did about ten or twelve. When I left, we were doing pretty close to about a hundred different events. Hundred events on an annual basis, so yeah. two a week ish. And so that would, and I'm assuming from outside looking in, that looked in a variety of different forms. So you have on one end large conferences that were honestly stadium, I guess arenas would be safe to say, but 10, 15,000 people. Yeah. I mean, we would do reunion arena in Dallas before they tore down Kemper arena in Kansas city. We'd fill that up about 12, 15,000 there. Okay. Um, all the way down to, um, 200 seat venues for high end business leaders. And then we even did the Lincoln center in, in New York. Wow. Very cool. So all different types of events. So in your, in your career, you've put on safe to say hundreds of events. Yes. Safe to say that. Yes. <laughs> so let's kind of talk through kind of big picture because there's, there's speakers who are listening right now going, okay, I'm, I'm interested in speaking. I'm doing some speaking. And maybe what I'm oftentimes doing is I'm going to someone else's event, but there's certainly speakers who are saying, I would love to put on my own events. And there are a lot of pros and cons that go into that. So can you kind of talk us through some of the, you mentioned kind of the, the low end and the high end. What are some of the different types of events that you, you guys put on and what were some of the different kind of pros and cons between each of those? Well, I think for your listeners, um, putting on your own events uh, can sometimes be daunting or overwhelming. And so, you know, I had a team often that would put this together. When we first started, we were a pretty skeletal staff. And, you know, you run pretty hard and, and you know, you can do everything from large events to, to these high-end events. 
But the question you have to ask is, you know, how much time and, and planning are you willing to do? I've done some consulting for a few companies who wanted to put on their events and, and they essentially brought me in and said, hey, we're losing money. Can you show us where to, to make money? And, you know, they were making some pretty common errors like they hadn't bothered to plan from spring to fall. They thought their spring event was actually making them the money and it was their fall event that was making them the money. Mm-hmm. And the spring event was actually costing them money. And so you might say, well, that's duh, that seems obvious. Don't you just look at the numbers? But with events, things roll over, you know, venues and expenses and invoices, they kind of flow throughout the year when they're due and how they roll together. And so it's a pretty simple issue and problem to run into. And it's probably pretty more, much more common on that kind of thing than you'd like to think. But planning your own event is tough, uh, it's time consuming, and it's also very rewarding. Yeah. Let's talk through the the planning side of it because that's kind of where for someone who's in the stage of like, I'm just intrigued in doing event. I've never put on an event. I would fall into that category. I'm I'm less intrigued on it and more just like I've never done one. So like what what are the like big picture things that you need to be thinking about from the beginning to determine, you know, whether or not you should even do an event? I've talked to a lot of authors and I've often wondered why so many authors who have found success don't do their own events. It's a great way to sell more product. Why they don't expand on, on their product, their book and turn it into an event and turn that event into some sort of video series. I'll never quite understand. But look, first and foremost, you can do this. I think sometimes people look at this and they just think it's a daunting task. And I think depending on how you view things grant, it can seem overwhelming. And I, but so first off, I want to tell you, you can do it. Second thing I'd suggest is, hey, don't be afraid to ask for help uh, along the way and get guidance and, and talk to people who have done this, or even as you're going through it, ask people for help and, and don't overschedule things when it comes to starting out what you want to do. You know, essentially I say, hey, there are like five things you need to think about. You need to think about the start, the build out, the launch, the actual event, and then the post event. So that's the start, the build out, the launch, the actual event, and the post event kind of structure. And to kind of keep it simple, we used to do a lot of large events and I would get excited about events. We'd add new events and it would, it would mean more opportunity for us to kind of connect with people and to do new things. And then I quickly found out that sometimes my event team would get overwhelmed. And so they had these large binders of checklists that they had to do. We got to make sure we do this and this and this that we had picked up over 10 years. And it was things like, hey, make sure the venue has all the light bulbs changed out. Make sure the venue has air conditioning in the summer. Like hard lessons we learned, you know, unfortunately the hard way. And so I realized what was going on in their head. Every time I got excited about a new event or something new I want to do, they got overwhelmed. And so I eventually made like a one sheet list and said, hey, if we can do these few things, everything else will just add in. Um, And so it took a lot of the stress off. And so I like to say when it comes to events, don't overthink the venue, the gifts, the speakers, the day, like don't overthink it. Here's what you need. You need a place to have the event. You need people at your event. Just think about those two things, because if you have it, then everything else will just fall into place. It seems really simple when you put it like that. (laughs) Right. I mean, you just like, hey, at the end of the day, people just want to show up and kind of experience something together or learn. And so imagine if you picked uh, a venue and it was a picnic shelter at a local park and you didn't have an AV system, but you had a mic and a Bluetooth speaker and the person that they wanted here showed up and just talked to them and you hung out. People would think that was great and and they would walk away feeling uh, refreshed and invigorated. And so at a minimal level, don't overwhelm yourself. You just need a place and people and then everything else you can build around it. And so like never lose sight of that. I think it would be important maybe even if you started your event just to slap that up on the wall. I just need a place and people. And once I have that, everything else is going to be great along the way. 
sometimes people get overwhelmed because they've attended conferences or they've attended events and they've been this extravaganzas with multimedia presentations and lights and, and strobe lights and, and massive music and incredible video and massive screens. And like, I assure you, nobody starts that way. And very few people doing their own individual event ever end up with events like that. And so you got to sort of ask yourself, you know, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Well, who is this for? What do I want to achieve from this? What is the goal coming out of this that I want people to take away? And then it kind of helps you build things. So Grant, let me back up and just kind of say, okay, the start, the start of the event is basically who, the, what, the why, you know, who, who's this event for? What is the event going to accomplish? Why do I want to do this? Or why would anyone want to come to this event? And I think it's simple. You know, sometimes people just want to gather. There are, um, you know, I've been a part of some events. Uh, we call it a mommy blogger events back in the day. And I don't know if that's still kind of the, the right term, but a lot of these, these people just wanted to get together and hang out and share stories. And so we didn't need to over-program something like that because the, yeah. the people themselves wanted to hang out and do stuff. So if we structured a couple of great speakers that would motivate and educate and then left some free time, more than a lot of free time actually, for them to hang out in a structured way, they would feel like that was a super successful event. Sometimes yeah. we try to overcomplicate it and say, well, we need to fill every waking minute of our event with something and a speaker and people sometimes genuinely get frustrated with that because they don't have any downtime to think or mix and do stuff like that. So the start is the who, you, who is it for, why do you want to do it, and what do you want to accomplish? Let me, let me ask a, a kind of a follow-up question there because it seems like, like with anything, like once you kind of determine the why and, and maybe even those other pieces, the, the who and the what, then it seems like everything else starts to kind of flesh itself out and starts to make decision-making a lot simpler. But if you're not clear on like, why am I doing this in the first place and who exactly is this for versus like you said, if you're doing an event for mommy bloggers who want to get together and share stories versus you are going, doing something for you know, high-end business leaders who are wanting some you know, in-depth training or coaching or whatever it may be, once you understand that, then I'm not an event planner, but I can immediately make some assumptions about what each of those events would be like just based alone on why you're doing it, who it's for, and what the point of the event would be. Yeah, exactly. But sometimes uh, we start to dream and we start to dream big and it starts to get complicated. You know, I often sometimes say, hey, shoot small or think small. You know, people in a place is all you need. Don't overcomplicate this. Have fun. You know, at some point during this process or whatever, you may get frustrated and you need to ask yourself, hey, this thing should be fun. So why is it no longer fun? What have I done to make this not fun? Have I overcomplicated this? Have I put too much stress on? Have I shot too high on a thousand people to come when really a hundred people would have been just as uh, fun and as adequate? Um, Have I turned this into a job? Am I trying to make income off of this for really even getting started and knowing, you know, everything I was getting into? And then finally understand people are finicky. You know, they have set expectations. They'll judge your event to others they've been at, as I mentioned. So I think you just recognize that, hey, this is a small event. This is a gathering. If you're coming for this full-on media presentation with world-class speakers, this is not the event for you. If you want to come and hang out and learn from each other, then this is probably a great spot for you. If you recognize it, hey, we understand that this isn't this or that. You know, I've been a part of some events where we just say that up front. I mean, that just disarms everybody. Everybody's in a better mood. Yeah. Um, nobody gets frustrated. So, you know, always coming back to that, think small, think small, think small. And think small also means, hey, stop thinking about a thousand people or a hundred people. Just start thinking about one person. Yeah. Who's the, how do you want to impact one person? 
everything starts to go much easier. It takes the stress away and you start to plan things better and you even start to think more rationally uh, yeah. in some cases. Well, and one of the things you touched on too is that it's easy to look at, you know, to go to some conferences or events that have lots of lots of bells and whistles and, and lights and camera action, all of the above, and feel like I got to do that. But even like you said, you've done a lot of events and a lot of versions of events. So keep in mind, like this is version 1.0. And so it, it's, it's not fair. It's unrealistic to compare your event to an event that's, they've been doing this 10 years and have done a lot of iterations of this. And they're really, really good at it. Your year one version is not going to be as good. And so I'm, I'm guessing even for you, if you're going to look back, Chris, on like version 1.0 of some of those events, at the time, it was the best that you had. But looking back now, you might be embarrassed. But like, that's what you had in the beginning. So, you know, you work with what you got and you, you improve as you go. Yeah, I mean, one of the first events that we kind of just took a stab at is uh, John Acuff had joined the team and we were working with him. And he had just written this book, Quitter. And so we thought we'd put together a Quitter conference. And man, did we hustle for that thing. I mean, John had this big blog and we were trying to write. And ultimately, it was just a conference room. And John would stand on the stage and just kind of you know, John is a very talented speaker, very gifted, very funny. Mm-hmm. And we decided that was what we we're going to do. We didn't have any money for food and catering. So we asked some food trucks to show up and just told everybody, hey, we're not catering food, but there are food trucks out there. And yeah. people just got up and went out and bought food. You know, sometimes you go to events and, and they're like, what, no free food? And uh, what we discovered is, you know, we set expectations. Nobody really got frustrated. You know, we right. told them there wasn't food just to show up and have fun. We didn't hit our goal. We were hoping for 200 people. We only had like 186. How fresh is that? I still know the exact number and how far away we were. <laughs> You're not bitter at all. <laughs> no. Funny, we did the event the next year and we literally, the sellout was 200, but we sold 214 just to make up for the uh, 14 <laughs> we didn't do before. But, you know, it was simple stuff like that. You have to you know, and we were trying all kinds of things just to motivate people to get tickets, free coaching with John, you know, a free upgrade to a VIP ticket, free lunch, you know, just something and anything to kind of move tickets. So, but ultimately we were so happy and thrilled with how it came together. Sure. We didn't hit our numbers goal, but we didn't over promise anything. We didn't overshoot. We just had one little conference room, one little stage and one speaker. And that's how we started. And then I only tell you that story to say like a few years later, about three years later, we did something called the Start Conference around John's new book, and we had almost a, a thousand people show up. And because we had more people show up, and we had sort of put in the groundwork over the last few years, uh, we were able to take the level of production up dramatically. And so, yeah. you know, don't judge your beginning to somebody else's middle or their end. Just kind of say, hey, what do I want to do? What would make this a win for me? How would I feel good about what I did? And, not, and don't worry about anybody else. Yeah. Cool. All right. So you mentioned that the, the first part of the process is to start. The next part of the process is the build out. What do you mean by that? So the build out is, hey, where are you going to have it? What's the budget I want to spend? Do I want to spend anything? Do I want to spend, do I have a $1,000? Am I going to charge for this? Or is it just a free kind of thing? And this will come as a result of your goals. I mean, figure out why you want to do it, who you want to target. Once you get a venue, you know, is it, there are some places that will just offer you free things. A lot of communities have free rooms to rent. So is it a day long? Is it a multi-day long? Are you just going to do it at a resort? Sometimes resorts will give you free rooms as long as you book in. So you can tell people, hey, we're going to do it at this resort. Here's the cost. They're giving us a discount and do that. So sort of figure out what your budget is, <laughs> what the build out, you know, build out being uh, what the budget is, what the venue is going to be. Are you going to uh, hire speakers and pay them? Or are you just going to get your friends to come in and do it? Is it just going to be you? 
Uh, so just put some thought into, hey, what is this going to cost me time-wise? And how much do I have to invest? And what's this going to cost me financially? It doesn't have to cost anything and it can cost a lot. And sometimes every little thing you do in hopes that you'll have a great event, sometimes you might go, well, I'll just charge you a hundred bucks. And people go, well, I don't know. I don't want to pay more than 50. And so you can kind of, you know, it comes back. So you have to decide, hey, what's my break-even point? When do I shut an event down? This just isn't working before you lose all your money. So from the budget standpoint, I guess even like, I'm, all right, I'm thinking about conceptually, I want to do an event for, you know, 100 people, here's kind of a rough idea of what it's going to of what it's going to look like. Like, how do you begin to figure out what the budget should be? Because like you said, it's kind of like, you know, buying a car, you can spend two, there's just two totally different ends of the spectrum of what you could do. So how do you kind of figure out like, which end of the spectrum I need to land on uh, in order to, you know, to make this to make the math work? I mean, I wrote down some stuff for this. You can go anywhere from, hey, let's just hang out and have a meal together to, you know, our, what are the venue or rental fees? If you're, if you're not going to sort of, if you're beyond a, a large room or a space and you need to rent a room, what is that going to cost? Are there housekeeping or union fees associated with that? Sometimes we would rent a venue and then we'd find out there were venue or uh, union fees associated with people that worked there. Yeah. Does the venue have audio visual? Meaning, for instance, if you went to a hotel conference room, sometimes they'll have a video projector, sometimes they won't. So you may have to rent it or you may have to rent it from them. Do you have something like that? Are there lights? You know, I've been to some events where they sit on the stage and it looked great, but at night you couldn't even see the speaker. And so it's like, hey, do you need to rent lights? What are some supplies? How are you going to set the stage? Um, are you going to put some plants on there? What is that going to cost? If you are going to do food, what's the catering? Are you just going to go? Sometimes we would go to Costco and buy stuff and put it out. Or sometimes we would actually have it catered. You know, one time we had somebody's mother make donuts. So, I mean, there are, there are a lot of options there. So, I think you need to grant, like, go down and say, okay, what is it I want to do? Where is this going to be? And what are the costs that could potentially be associated with this? <laughs> and then start to take things away. We did this one giant event once and we were spending a lot of money for it. And at the end of the day, we weren't making as like it felt like we should be making a ton of money, but the reality is we we're spending so much money. We we're doing airport transfers, picking you up and dropping you yeah. off. And we were doing all this stuff. So we sit on a survey and said, Hey, which of these things are the most impactful for you? Did you like, and the airport transfers was at the very bottom and it was costing, it was one of our largest expenses. We thought it was this generous, we'll pick you up. You don't have to worry. We'll take you to the airport. You don't have to worry type deal. And we were spending so much money on that. that eventually we just killed it. We were giving away iPods with the lessons from the event already on it. So all the lessons you heard were on an iPod. It was a gift. People loved it. Obviously, 200 iPods at the time were, was really expensive. And the audio, what we discovered was people didn't really care about the iPods. They just wanted the audio. So we just, we just, get, we just print up a card and said, hey, download the audio from the event here. And people loved it. It was impactful. So like those are like we had gotten carried away, but the, the attendees didn't even really need it. So sometimes when you work on your budget, you kind of just think, think of ways that you can be impactful that don't cost any money, yeah. you know, mixers or games or, or just conversations or, you know, asking people to sort of share what their, their best principles or the best things they've done. Those things people tend to remember. But going forward, you know, a lot of gift bags, you know, if you're going to have a gift bag, what's going to be in the gift bag? If you're going to have potentially some sponsors, who's going to find the sponsors, who's going to talk to the sponsors, you're going to get all the sponsors, you're going to stuff all the bags. Are you going to do that yourself? Are you going to pay someone to do it? So all that tickets, are you going to um, get a ticketing system? Are you going to pay? There's a bit of a, a fee associated with some of these, some of them not. 
And so just listing out all of that stuff, you know, do you have to rent chairs? Are you going to put balloons together? You know, it just goes, the list goes on and the sky's the limit. And so you just have to ask yourself, Hey, oh, I didn't think about a photographer. Maybe I should hire a photographer to come take pictures or it'd be fun to kind of have a little selfie zone where people could take pictures of themselves. This is something I'll just set up. What will that cost to get set up? Will yeah. somebody bring a machine? So it's just try and figure out and list out everything. Ultimately what you have to spend would be best. And then trying to squeeze everything in it and creating an event that stays within that budget. Interesting. All right. So we've got to start the build out and then on the, the launch. So the launch is once you've got it together, you need to get word out. Awareness, awareness, awareness is really what it comes down to. Um, if nobody knows about your event, nobody can come to your event. And yeah. so I often say, hey, do you know what the second largest search engine on the internet is? It's Amazon. And so I don't say that because I want you to sell your tickets on Amazon, but I want you to think outside the box. And so, you know, think about how you're going to talk. Can you enlist 50 people to help you tell 50 other people? Do you have 10 really close friends that you want to pull this event together and they're going to help you kind of get the word out? I love Facebook ads because they're cheap and you can boost it right to the targeted audience you want. Do you, you know, just stick with mommy bloggers. You know, everybody who is in San Diego who's a mommy blogger, who's between these ages or whatever, uh, with young kids, that's who I want to target. And then I can make them aware, you know, for... 26 cents, I can have them click a link to my landing page or registration page. Or I start an event page for that and drive into my event page on, on Facebook. And then once I have them there, figure out a way to sort of get their email address so you can continue to communicate with them or message them on Facebook itself. Google ads, you know, basically, how are you going to tell people about your event? How are they going to find out about it? I love Google ads. I love Facebook boosting. I love Facebook events. I love word of mouth and help and, and all that. Ask people for help. That's the one thing I wish I could tell everybody when it comes to events. Stop thinking you have to do everything on your own. People want to help. There are so many people that want to help you. You know what they don't want to do is they don't want to come up with the idea and start the event. They don't want to take that initiative because that's not their thing. But if someone does that, there are plenty of people who will come along and help you that want to be a part of this. And you know, you can say, hey, just come and it's free if you come, if you help me. And let's just figure out this thing together. On the so, marketing standpoint, like how, how far out do you typically start marketing? And I, I, I assume this often depends on you know, probably the price point of the event and the size of the, the number of people and just your own reach. But how far out should you start considering it? I would say six months on average. Sometimes people get really excited and they're like, yes, let's do it. And you've kind of, <laughs> you've kind of narrowed it down and it's, it's just a smaller event and you can knock that out in a month, for instance, if people have really been clamoring for this. But six months in general, that gives you enough time to launch it, to figure out what you're going to do, to sell tickets, to get the word out. Sometimes it takes some, two or three times for people to see something, especially if they're not in your tribe, if you will. You don't have a list um, and you're just trying to, to get new people to come out. They have to hear about you. They have to learn about you. They have to read about you or, or what you're trying to do or accomplish and be comfortable with you. And then they'll buy a ticket. And so sometimes that takes, that's not a, 30 day process. That's a 60, 90 day process. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. I cut you off there. What were you going to say on uh, what else on launch? The other thing, as far as tickets go, if you launch too early and you're a year out, you know, 11 months in, somebody may have lost interest already. We used to have that happen to us a lot. We'd, we'd start selling a year out and, and then, you know, six months in, seven months in, because they hadn't necessarily heard from us. We just, they were bought a ticket. We'll see you when, it, when the date comes. They would decide, you know, Hey, Seven months ago, I was excited about this, but you know, I'm, I'm in a different place now, so I want a refund or things like that. So we tried to figure out ways to keep them engaged yeah. over that one-year period. 
by sending them emails or, or we'd even send stuff in the mail to them from the event. But typically a year out is a little much unless you've been to an event. And then in which case this is sort of the post event, we'll get to this later, but at the event, the best time to sell tickets for the next event is at the event. Okay. All right. So we got to start the build out, the launch. What about the actual event? Okay. So the actual event, you know, what are you going to do? A lot of times people get so consumed with the administrative side, where it's going to be, the, the cool things we're going to give out, the cool location, the extra things that are going to happen, and the people that are coming. You forget about the actual event. Like, who's going to speak? Do they need audio? Will they need slides? You know, who am I going to pick? What are they going to talk about? How long do they have? Is this going to be a day-long thing? Is this going to be a couple of days? And so, yeah, I think you need to think about the event itself because that's ultimately why people are coming. And what I have discovered, Grant, almost exclusively in the event world is so many people want to be event planners and do events and they kind of blow through the content side. They, they feel like that's the easy side. And ultimately, people come back because of the content of the event and, and very rarely they come back because of the venue or the, the swag bag you gave them. Interesting. So I I guess, again, this just depends on what the the why part of the event, but thoughts on having multiple speakers versus just having, you know, if you're a personal brand, you just want to do all the teaching or training versus having multiple speakers. Any thought process behind that on pros and cons either way? Yeah. I mean, usually if you're uh, an individual speaker, let's say you've written a book, typically people are going to come because they've read your book and they want to hear from you. Yeah. And so your tribe and your fans are going to want to hear from you. And the more they want to hear from you, the better. Ultimately, what adding additional speakers does is it rounds out perspectives. And for people who don't know you that well, it sort of builds trust. Well, there's, there's got to be one person here that I'm going to like and appreciate and listen to. So even if I get one of these, even if I don't like the other two or three speakers, at least I'll like this one. So I think you just got to figure out, are you trying to build new people and get new people in? Or are you trying to reinforce something you've already done and set yourself up as an authority? But I tend to like play events that have multiple speakers. Even if you have a book, I think it's great to hear different perspectives from people and get interesting thoughts. And so I would definitely recommend having multiple speakers, you know, to go back to the mommy bloggers, Hey, just pick five or six people who do really, really well. And you know, one person's going to talk about when they post, one person's going to talk about how they get inspiration for their stories. One person's going to talk about the length and the style of story. One person, you know, just kind of share best practices kind of thing. And I think people would really appreciate that. It doesn't have to get too complicated where I need to reach across the country and pull someone in. Just pull somebody in that you respect that can come and share. I mean, you spoke at a lot of places. I mean, you know as well as I do that sometimes the best speakers aren't the ones that are most well-known, that's for sure. Right, right, for sure. What are the pros and cons between having like a, a single track and the audience is just listening to whoever's up on stage, everybody has the same experience versus multiple tracks and you're kind of choosing uh, which, you know, there's there's five workshop sessions at two o'clock and you're picking which one you go to. Obviously, that's going to typically be a, a bigger scale event. Uh, what are the pros and cons between each version of that? Well, um, I remember the first time we started doing that, it, the logistics of it just, I mean, it basically goes from one set of logistics to five sets of logistics. Okay. You know, um, now I need five speaking systems and I need five video projection systems and number of rooms and chairs and rooms, chairs, locations, different because I can get one stage in one area and now I've got to rent five rooms and five stages and, or five areas. And we just found it was so like, we loved the idea at some point of doing the breakouts. We just found it was so hard to find locations that weren't hotels because hotels can be costly. Yeah. And sometimes churches worked well. 
because they had a lot of rooms, but it was just, it was, it's more of a challenge. I, you know, it's definitely more rewarding because you can break up and sort of work in, an, in multiple areas with multiple speakers. Yeah. But if you're just planning your own event and you're doing this for the first time, my recommendation is to stay away from breakouts for the time being. Cool. All right. Sounds good. So we've got a start, build out, launch, actual event, and then the post event. The event has happened. We go home and we sleep now and catch up on life. What else needs to happen in the, the post event? <laughs> well, first, don't let anybody leave without trying to sell them a ticket for the next year's event. Okay. Um, I had a friend who ran the Women of Faith tour and she said a third of their tickets were always sold for the previous, the next year's event at this year's event. And so Try and sell them a ticket. Hey, if you loved this, because they're emotionally bought in at this point. Yeah. Into the event. They're emotionally bought in. They loved it. Chances are they are, have made a bunch of new friends. They want to come back. And so sell them a ticket. Get it all in there because then every new thing you do is just going to add to the size of the event and the scope. And so uh, first and foremost, sell them a ticket. Then I would say, make sure you get a survey out immediately. Don't send it out a week later. Don't send it out a few days later. Send it out the day the event ends. Because that's when it's most fresh. Hey, what did you think of speakers? What did you think of the venue? What did you think of the event itself? How would you change things? What are suggestions would you make? So many gems come from those post-event surveys over the years uh, that you just don't even think about. You're so close to the product. You're so wired in. You're so busy. Right. You didn't realize this was happening or you didn't even think about doing this. And that would have been simple. Why, why didn't we do that? And so the post-event survey, just send it out immediately. Survey Monkey, you can, I would have it set up before the event even started. Hey, what is something I want to make sure that I know immediately after this event is over? And so, and you can just schedule it and say, hey, our event ends at five. That survey goes out at 530. And you can have that all taken care of before the event even starts. I love it. And then finally, just encourage people to leave a review. Hey, if you like this, please leave a review on Yelp or wherever you've set up a place on our website or email me or put it in the survey. Hey, would you like to leave a review for this so we can maybe encourage other people next year to come? And what was your favorite part? That kind of stuff, because that will really help your marketing, your messaging and and drive new people into another year if you want to do this again. Interesting. All right, cool. One of the big questions I hear is from several friends who have run conferences that are bigger conferences that are, you know, probably, I would guess a couple hundred people, you know, 50 to hundred thousand dollar budgets. A lot of them just say like, I lost money. Uh, Events aren't worth it because it takes so much time and there's not the return there. So how do you do an event without losing money? Well, you, you limit the scope of what you're trying to do. So don't go crazy. Like I said, that budget on the front end is so important. Basically, there are three ways to make money. I've heard this a long time. You can Google it and they'll tell you the same thing. And essentially, there are th- it's a three-legged stool with events. You make money on ticket sales for the event. You make money on sponsorships of the event. And you make money on merchandise sales from the event. And those are the three ways you make money on events. Now, Let's say you don't have any products. You know, now you're down to two. Let's say you're, it's your first year of event. You don't have any sponsors. Most, they might give you like some free swag, but they're probably not going to give you any money because sponsors are going to say, well, how many people come to the event? What's the reach of the event? How many people are going to talk about me? Mm-hmm. And if you say, well, I might have 100 people there, <laughs> um, they might go, huh, well, how about I give you a, like a free set of books or something? And so you've got that. Now you're just down to your ticket sales. Right. And what if you say, hey, I just want to get people here. I don't, you know, I don't worry about too much money. I mean, you just kind of start to, that's how people get crazy in debt on these events. They, they reach too far and the event doesn't sell. And now their money's all tied up on audio visual and, and, and lighting and venue rental and all that stuff. And, and they just kind of say, I just give up, which is why I, I'm just so 
a huge proponent of shoot small, start small, think small, don't do any. It's far better to sell out an event of 50 people than it is to get a venue of 500 and sell 150 tickets. Because now you can call it a sellout. You're really, you're really excited. Everything was great. Man, you should have had a few more people that have been good. But next year you can call it a sellout and people know there's a limited number. But man, stay to that budget. Don't overreach. And unless you've got sponsorships on the line and you have products specifically to sell, don't do it. You know, as a loss leader, I've got a company I'm working with that I've worked with recently. And essentially they sell about a $20,000 package and they were selling $89 tickets. And the tickets weren't selling because they're kind of new. I mean, they partnered with this other company and I finally just said, hey, why are you even selling tickets? You just need people there. Mm-hmm. You know, sell the tickets for $9 to make sure people want to come. So there's a little bit of investment, but forget about the 80. I mean, you get one person in, it'll cover the entire cost. So their product is sort of the back end off the sale. And so if you've got product to sell, if you don't have any at your event, you can't sell any product. How do you balance that part? Because there's events that you go to where you know there's going to be some type of pitch and that's just part of it. And it's maybe a low ticket event with a high ticket offer uh, on the back end. But there's also events that you go to that are, are that are very pitch heavy. They're very self from stage. How do you find the balance where it doesn't come across feeling like just leaving people with a bad taste in their mouth? Well, yeah, I mean, that's the million dollar question. You know, I think that the events that make you leave with a bad taste in your mouth are bad events. It's all about them. It's all about their money. And what they're trying to do is keep money coming in so they can keep doing the events. But it's basically at the expense of, you know, the audience. We used to sell sponsorships and the the mandate was we weren't going to talk about you on the stage just because you gave us money. You had to do something for the audience if you wanted us to talk about you from the stage. And so even though you were paying us a sponsorship, that didn't obligate us then to brag about you incessantly from the stage. If you wanted that, give us a thousand dollars to give away to the audience. Give us free products to give away to the audience. Give us something that benefited the audience as well. Because otherwise it's just a selfish one-sided deal. Yeah. Cool. Before we wrap up here, any other final words of wisdom for those who are considering doing an event? Let's see here. I got a few things I think I want to share. You know, think about if you want to do a weekday or weekend, usually weekdays are cheaper. Okay. Um, think about all the things that you want to do and accomplish and have fun. You know, I think I want to stress that you should think small. I want to stress that you can do it. You know, one of the things that I'm recently, I'm, I'm getting ready to do, Grant, is there's a bunch of church conferences dedicated to marketing. And so that's sort of where I am right now. But the problem is these, all these conferences are basically dedicated to the, the average church size. And so they, you show up at these conferences and they say, hey, you should have social media or you should put together an email campaign or here's what we do. But there aren't any really dedicated to mega churches, sort of the size we're at. Mm-hmm. You know, oftentimes guys like us will go and speak at those conferences. But, you know, there are zero conferences dedicated to the guys that are at our size with large budgets and large teams to speak. So I said, I'm just going to have a gathering. I called it the mega church gathering. And I said, just get to San Diego, get a hotel room. We're all going to sit in a room here and we're all going to go to the beach for a day and learn how to surf. And then we're going to get in a room and we're going to talk about our best practices. It's free. Just get here. You're allowed to bring one other person from your team and we're going to sit and learn. And so my goal is for the first two years, it's free. And I got a free location. I told them they're going to pay for the room. They're going to pay for the food. Just get here. We're going to learn from each other. And man, things just blew up. Yeah. And so, because, you know, the, I, it's just investing in each other. And then the goal is by the third year, hey, can we turn this into a larger conference where we can help 
smaller churches learn everything that we've learned from each other and sort of grow it. So I've, I have zero investment in it. I've got a thousand percent excitement in it from everyone. And so at the end of the day, that's ultimately what makes a great event. And so don't overcomplicate this. Don't overthink this. Don't overplan this. Don't overschedule this. If it's not fun, don't do it. Yeah. Very well said. Chris, thanks for the time, man. We appreciate it. Thank you, Grant. I appreciate you coming on. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Chris Mefford. Again, if you liked it, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and that you uh, share it with other people. Let other people know if they are interested in speaking. Just say, hey, you got to check out this podcast. I've been listening to a few episodes. Not too shabby. So uh, let people know about it. And again, we really do appreciate it. All right. Thanks for hanging out with us, my friend. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.